Insights to Live By, the podcast, discovering new pearls of wisdom to enrich our lives. How do you embrace entrepreneurship? Should you start a side hustle? Or what does it take to achieve entrepreneurial excellence? Hello and welcome to Insights to Live By. I am your host, Matt Zinman. Thank you very much for being here. We have such a fantastic conversation. I haven't covered entrepreneurship in some time, but we're going to get right to it. Uh, he is the founder of 365 Driven, a business mentor and executive coach, among many other things. Tony Watley, welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me on, man. I can't wait to get to know you a little bit and also your, your audience. Yeah. Give them some, give some feedback here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, it's interesting. For those who can't see the screen at the moment, I'm looking at a beautiful studio that you have, Tony, with your, uh, with your uh, uh, logo behind you with LED lights. You like cars. That's probably a Absolutely. good a good place to Absolutely. start. So where did that where did that start? You know, the automotive, I think it's something we're born with. I really do. I think that even as a kid, I was running around, I always had two hot wheels in my hands. And I remember even at my earliest ages when my mother would be cooking dinner, I'd be sitting at the kitchen table and she would buy me coloring books from the dime store. And instead of coloring in the books, I would actually just draw cars and all the empty spaces and in the front and the back of the covers of the books. And Soon enough, she realized like it was a lot less expensive just to buy me blank sheets of paper. And I actually had a collection of washers, like nut and bolt washers that I would trace to get to the wheels and the tires and stuff. So even as a little kid, I was always drawing and building little car models. And so I've always been fascinated with two things. It's always been business and cars. An innate passion. What What's your favorite car, Tony? What is, I mean, you have to choose. If you, what would that answer be? You can actually see it in the, the video there at the top of my screen. That's a 1969 Camaro. And that's always going to be my favorite car because that was also my very first car I bought when I was age 15, when I was working at McDonald's and mowing yards, I bought a car for about 1200 bucks. And my dad and I, we restored it for that entire year. And I drove it all the way through high school. And now the one that's in the, the painting back there, that actually was one I built in 2005 that I still own. That's been on the cover of several magazines and it's a really high end to build. It's beautiful. Pretty nice car to have also in those years to say the least. Um, wonderful. Now, you also were in the automotive business at some point. Is that right? You were involved in performance race cars and got yourself into to that area. What, what did you do there? Well, the main reason for me to get my mechanical engineering degree was because I actually wanted to go work in the automotive industry because of that passion for cars. But when I graduated school, I started talking to some of the suppliers in the big three up in the Detroit area. And I realized that the salary that they were offering was actually half the pay of me staying in my home city of Houston, which was the oil and gas capital of the world. So I decided, you know what, I'll just stay in my home city, make twice as much and actually be able to afford the cars that I would otherwise go work on in Detroit. So that's what I started to do with oil and gas, but it still didn't scratch that itch for the automotive industry. So in 2001, I decided to build a website so people can discuss cars and talk about racing cars and things like that on the website. And that was ls1tech.com. And that grew into the number one General Motors performance website on the internet. And when I sold it in 2007, we had over 300,000 registered members. Yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, it, I'm very interested to hear about your ideas in building a community and how 
those uh, those mecha- the mechanics of doing that essentially translate to others who are interested to do the same. Now, you're also the author of the best-selling The Side Hustle Millionaire. Uh, so let's go there. Let's, let's talk about the book and uh, just side hustle in general. Um, tell me about it. The book was actually something that was rattling around in my skull probably for four or five years before I even write the first word. And the reason is because having sold that company in 2007 for millions, I've had several friends and colleagues and people that I know that always came to me for advice on how to start and grow their business. Some of them even how to exit. So I've helped several people build seven, eight and nine figure businesses in the last 20 years. And they were always telling me I should be doing this full time. You got all this information. You're teaching me all this stuff. And Honestly, I just I wasn't the right person to put myself out there. I didn't have a lot of courage to be on camera or on the microphone. I had stage fright and I just led a really private life, even though I had become successful. And I did really well in the corporate world, too. I was on executive path and oil and gas. But the thing is that I made a bunch of excuses because I didn't want to put myself out there. You know, I had childhood bullies and 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 grade school and things like that. So you just kind of learn to fit in and not stick your head out, even if you're a, a a competitive person and you're a high performer, you didn't really want to stand in the spotlight because it was so vulnerable and you were open to attack. So I just avoided that whole situation, became successful in the shadows. And I was watching all these things going on with the business and the personal development world. And honestly, I saw a lot of fakery going on out there. And I didn't want to be, be a part of that for a long time because I'd been consuming those books since my early 20s. And I knew the real and the fake. And I've seen the people with the results and the people that talk like they do. And I just said, you know what? I don't even want to be grouped with those people. And again, it was that private life type mentality. So I thought about that book and I thought about that book, but I didn't start writing it until late in 2017. And that was a reason was I was in a, a major car accident racing cars in 2015. And that really shifted my entire perspective because I thought I was going to die in that moment. And after that, I decided to leave my corporate career for good and just go focus on making some kind of an impact in the world. I didn't know what that meant at the time. I think a lot of times we get handed our purpose before we understand the vessel, the vehicle that's going to get us to that purpose. And so I spent the next two years figuring out what I was going to do. I picked up some contracting gigs and consulting roles here and there, but ultimately came back down to the passions. Like everybody knew me for the cars and the businesses I'd built in the automotive industry, but I wanted to be about business. I wanted to teach people how to earn those cars or how to build those cars and do those kind of things. And so that's when I launched 365 Driven in 2017. I started writing the book. It launched in in, uh, May of 2018 and it became a number one bestseller on Amazon in the small business category. It sold thousands of copies the first week and it really just changed the trajectory of my career. Yeah. And, you know, I'm curious in terms of and I have to admit, Tony, I have not had a chance to pick up the book. I was, I was yeah. hoping to. Um, now, is Side Hustle Millionaire refer to yourself or does it refer to people starting a side hustle to get into entrepreneurship? Is that an okay, fair question? Yeah, actually, great, great question. So when I started th- thinking about how to write a book, I was actually going to write a book on more advanced strategies and entrepreneurship because I've been doing it for 20 years and I was kind of excited about the newer things I was learning and implementing. But when I went to my social media following, which was probably about 2,000 people back then, I said, hey, guys, I'm going to write a book. What would you like for me to write about? And everybody's like, oh, how to start a business, how to grow a business, right? And I was like, cool, that, that kind of checks the box. And then I said, okay, let me go back to my audience and ask them which questions they would like to have answered. So I said, guys, I'm going to write this entrepreneurship books. Which questions would you like answered in this book? And the thing is, is that everybody was asking me really beginner level questions. 
And it was like, how do you start things up? How do you name the business? Where do you get the money? How did you come up with the brand name? What does a good website look like? How do you do the marketing? What's the accounting like? You know, so I was like, wow, this is all like entry level stuff that I've been operating in the background for several years. And I kind of just really forgot about a lot of the things because you don't think about things that are in your operating system. Right. And, and somebody with a lot of ego would have said, well, oh, that's just too amateur. That's too beginner level. I'm not going to waste my time on that because I'm just super important and I'm awesome. And, and I said, no, I'm going to go build and create the product that they want. That's, that's product validation. That's, you know, marketing 101. So build what they want, what they're asking for. So I say, you know what, if I can answer these questions at a really high level of detail, how do you start? How do you come up with a name? How do you do the website? How do you do the marketing? How do you do all these things from basically handholding from idea to implementation, to actually having your first business? I'm going to go give them good details. I'm going to share the stories. I'm going to give some resources on how to do those even better. So I just wrote that book. And you know, the title was a, it was a, a toss out from my editor because I actually wrote the manuscript with a, the title called Hustle because it was, it's a long story behind that one too. But he's like, dude, you're, you're the side hustle millionaire. I was like, well, I don't really like that title because I'm not like arrogant. I don't like putting it out there like that. And he's like, what are they going to argue about? Did you, did you, or did you not sell a side business for millions of dollars? Like, yeah. And he goes, well, which, which of these two words isn't true, you know? And, and I was like, they are true. So I, I said, let me sleep on it. Even then I didn't really sit well with it. I was like, let me think about it. And I woke up in the next morning. I said, that's the title. It is the title. The guy that helped so many people become number one bestsellers. That is the title. I just had to become the right person to carry that title. That's, that's the, that's the hard truth. And when you think about that, it's like, man, I'm going to have to like learn public speaking and get on stages and potentially get on interviews and things like that. And dude, I've been on 350 interviews. Now I've been on TV. I've been on all the radio. I've been on stages with thousands of people now. And I had to become the right person. I think that's the important message there is like, you may not be ready to be that person to carry your message, to deliver your purpose, but that's where the work has to come in. Your knowledge is not going to be good enough. A lot of people have great books in their mind, but if you don't market the book and carry the book with that message as boldly as you write the book, then it's not going to deliver to the audience and it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, it really is an identity shift. And you know, I, I, I can certainly relate to a lot of what you're talking about. You know, going back and uh, personally, I've been an entrepreneur since 2002, started a marketing company, nonprofit and so forth, and, and also in publishing the book and you know, identifying with the title. And then in the same way that you're talking about your uh, operating system, what comes naturally to you, the things that you wrote about in the book. Well, suddenly you're on that other learning curve in the same way that those, you know, your readers yep. are learning about entrepreneurship. Uh, and now you've done that just the same. So, uh, you know, I wish I had that, this book back in 2002, quite honestly, because for one, I was a journalism degree and I'm only using myself as an example because mm -hmm. I think it relates to a, a lot of people. I didn't know anything about accounting and a lot of the back end things that I needed to do were going to the uh, small business development center or how to, you know, evaluate your business. I'm just imagining things that I have to be in your book. Of course. Oh, you're, you're nailing it. Yeah. Valuation. And, and actually the first two chapters are mindset because most people just really have a lot of self-limiting beliefs about what their potential is based on what their society has told them or their parents have told them or their teachers have told them or what their skin color is or where they're born. They have all these false limitations and I realize that mindset is the foundation for all success, not just business, but personal relationships, financial, all that is based on your mindset. And I said, you know what? That's such an important part. It's going to be the first two chapters. I want to have a, a 
full chapter dedicated to squashing excuses. You know, like most people, like I don't have time to start a business. I don't have enough money to start a business. I, like all the common excuses, I squashed every single one of them in the first two chapters. Right. I mean, that's the first inclination is why can't I do this as opposed yeah. to, right? And so if it's, and certainly with this past year and a half, to say the least, a lot of people reevaluating, many displaced in terms of, well, what do I do and how do I adapt to something that they may have wanted to do entrepreneurially? Your book's a good place to start. I mean, it sounds like that's really your your original roadmap to figuring out all the the you know the nuances that you need to understand in order to to press forward. Is that is that a fair description? Absolutely. Take the ideas out of your head. Quit talking about the business you're going to start someday. Read that book. It's a great starter. And the other thing is, I was reading these different side hustle type books that are out there. And I'm excited. I read a lot of books, probably one a week, leasing audio. I listen to one a week at minimum. And I was excited when I got these other side hustle books because I was kind of doing my research to see what they were talking about, thinking I was going to learn something. But it actually was disappointing when I started reading these other books, even some from the big name authors, because they were teaching people to think too damn small. You know, when, it, when you read a book that's talking about side hustles and they're talking about, oh, this is a hobby hustle. You can right. make $500 extra a month. And I'm thinking, guys, I was making $40,000 a month for my side business. Like, why are you learning from people who teach you to make $500 a month? Like, go shoot big. You may come out less, but you, it's the same level of work, you know? And I don't like people setting really small goals because I think that if you treat something like a hobby, you should only expect hobby results. Yeah, well said. You know, and I imagine one of the challenges with the side hustle and why I asked the question, network marketing, for example, mm -hmm. which is something you probably consistently have to come up against because so many different network marketing companies out there and that's the, Oh, start your side hustle. And here's your, your leg up. That's not what, what you're talking about at all. So, no. uh, well, let's go back to mindset and where someone needs to be to have that certain foundation to even know whether to keep stepping forward. Where, where's the, what do they have to do to get in the right mindset or maybe even know that they shouldn't proceed? entrepreneurially? I think we all know the, the main answer there. I think it's who you surround yourself with. I think that if you surround yourself with a bunch of people that always talk about remember when, and they all peaked in high school and they believe that their best days are behind them, that's how you're going to start to adopt the same level of thinking. So you need to start spending less time with remember when people and start putting people around you that talk about imagine when, because People who are thinking about what they're going to do and setting goals in their life, they have a lot more exciting lives, they're a lot happier, and they're going to be pushing you. They're not going to tolerate you as today. Like Actually, one of my friends, Dan, made a post the other day. It's like, how many of your friends accept you as you are and had all these people like, oh, we love you, Dan. We accept you just the way you are. And I saw like 25 replies, and I replied, Dan, I don't accept you the way you are. I want you to be better every single day. And then he sent me a DM later on that day. He goes, that's the message I was looking for. So surround right. yourself with people. Don't accept you as you are. Push you to be who you could be. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like he was looking for some affirmations there. And, you know, just staying in his comfort zone isn't going to get him yeah. any, any further. And I think that's really, in, in my experience, one of the greatest challenges is getting comfortable with your discomfort zone. Because you're constantly on some kind of a steep learning curve. It could be a new client. It could be a new area. You know, whatever it is, you're always going to be in an area 
that you don't really quite fully get and that you only typically through experience are going to be able to gain the, uh, you know, the skill set. Uh, what do you suggest? Are you in alignment with, with, that, with that comment? I would say that I have a slight unfair advantage in this field because I'm more of a, a daredevil and adrenaline junkie type personality. So I was always the kid that was willing to put the extra brick under the bicycle ramp and jump off of roofs and do things like that and put myself in harm's way and drive cars over 200 miles per hour. And so I get that I, I have a low, to- I have a real high tolerance for risk, right? Yeah. My risk versus reward. I understand that that's going to be a lot of fun. That's going to be an awesome memory. It's going to be a cool experience. And if I end up on my deathbed without any scars, that's going to be a pretty boring life. So I'm able to use that in entrepreneurship in the same way because I always look at what's the potential loss? Oh, okay, that's it. What's the potential upside? Huge, right? So I've always had this willingness to go do things that most people would deem as dangerous. And I think that that gives me an advantage in entrepreneurship. Yeah, well said. And how do you, how do you suggest that people overcome their risk threshold, a lower risk threshold than what it is that you just described? How do, how do you push yourself entrepreneurially? I think most people just really focus on the things that they could potentially lose. You know, when we're starting a business, they think about losing a few thousand dollars, right? Oh man, I got to go create an LLC and do this and buy a website, man, I might, I might lose $4,000. And they're always so focused and fixated on what they could lose versus what they could potentially earn. And when you were to stack those two together and realize like I could potentially earn millions or financial freedom or create impact and <laughs> impact millions of people, versus $4,000. Like it starts to really look like, okay, that's just dumb. Right. And we can always get more money. Money is not something that just disappears and never comes back. We have the skills, the knowledge, the, the work ethic, the sweat equity to go make more money all the time. So if you're still worried about making and losing money, like you're never going to achieve your dreams because that's just a small risk to take. Now, time is what we don't get back. You know, when you start to realize like, Hey, we're all going to die. There's no way to escape that. Do you want to end up on your deathbed and look back and think about why didn't I do that? Why didn't I do that? Why didn't I do that? And the answer is always going to be the same. It's because, oh, I was afraid of failure. No, that's lying. That's lying to yourself. When you hang around people that talk about fear of failure, that's a lie. We don't fear failure. We fear what other people are going to say or think about our failure. So then it goes back to the, we're always worried about what other people think or say about us. And we're so worried about that. That's going to keep you from your deathbed, like in that full of regret. So I always, th- I always say this is that why do we let people that would not attend our funeral dictate how we live? And if you're one of those people that's listening to this or watching this, realize that your life is on hold and you are not pursuing your pure potential because you're so worried about what other people think. Yeah. I, you know, I certainly hit the nail on the head for a lot of people there. And I think regret is a very powerful motivator, potential regret, that when you are right at the edge of your comfort zone and you need to push yourself outside of it and you're, you're, you're kind of at that weighing point, you say, well, I don't want to do this or whatever that is. But, but then if you add to the equation, how much will I regret not doing it? Yeah. And then when you realize that the regret is greater than the act of doing it itself, now you're on the scale. And, and you have to choose the one that uh, that's, that's the lighter path, which is to do it. Yeah. We don't regret our failures. We regret not trying. Right. Well said. It's a great quote too. Um, anything in and around entrepreneurship and, and achieving excellence. Let's go there 
Uh, I know we've been talking about it generally. I want to make sure that we are complete in and around our core topic with your expertise. What are some of the key recommendations that you have for people who are either looking to get into entrepreneurship or looking that already are and are looking to elevate to the next level? Uh, What are your thoughts on, on this point? I think when it comes to entrepreneurship, the the first step you got to take is the smallest step. Think of a business name, right? Think about who you want to serve. Think about what challenge you want to solve for other people, because your business is always about helping other people overcome challenges or things that they need. So if you want to entertain them or if you want to handle a problem that's just annoying on your daily day and you just realize like, why isn't there a product or a service that addresses this annoying thing that everybody has to go through, right? Those are all great ideas, but you don't have to be an inventor because most businesses are, I would say that 99% of the businesses out there, they're not inventions. So you don't have to be super creative. You just got to do something a little bit better, you know? So take a service or a product that already exists and go, what are they missing? How can I improve that? Is the price point really right for what it's solving? Start thinking about things that you can do that and you can start to divide. It goes really deep into the product development or the service development. Like you can just actually change one aspect of that entire buyer chain, right? You know, like the, like the Uber, you know, that solved the problem of having to stand on a corner and wait for a taxi and wave. You just pull out your phone and and they come to you. Like that was just one little segment of, you know, public transportation that they solved. It wasn't that they, they solved taxis. They just solved that one little annoying thing of having to hail a cab. Right. So Little things like that. How do you disrupt industries? And I think that for most people with entrepreneurship, you just got to start. Most people think that they need to have all the answers before they start. And that's not true. If you interview, and I'm sure you've interviewed several people who have built some amazing companies, they'll tell you they just started today and they figured it out. And that's what I did. When I when I started my company, I, did, I wasn't an entrepreneur. I was just doing something I enjoyed and it was fun and I wanted to make some cool value. And I, and I take things seriously, like I said. And so I built it. And probably about 10 months in, when it started making about $10,000 a month profit, I was like, oh crap, this is kind of like a business now. Maybe I should start figuring out what that means. And so it wasn't even until 10 months into my business, making a six-figure income, that I decided to go create an LLC and create a separate bank account and, and learn what an EIN is and all this thing. I was had to learn all that as I go. But then you become a better business person because you're learning while you're applying. Most people get in the consumption trap where they're just consuming all the books and they're consuming all the podcasts and they're just going to these seminars and they're just doing all this consumption, 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 but they're doing very little creation. So you got to shift. You just got to understand that go start. There's no perfect time. There's not someday it's going to be better. No, that's today because... Everybody talks about someday, but that's not on the calendar. There's no someday on your calendar. So start today. Realize that you don't need any of the answers, to be honest. You're going to figure those out with time. And don't expect to hit a grand slam home run on your first business either. I think a lot of people go into that thinking that's what's going to happen. You got to realize that 50% of businesses are are closed by year five. 20% of them close the first year. So understand that, you know what, most people have stepped to the plate. And they're not going to hit that grand slam the first time, but you have to go create a bunch of businesses. Like, you know what? People think about that. I've built nine different companies. Three of them did really well, but nobody even cares about the other six. So you're going to have losses, but that's just the normal way of doing business. That's very interesting. I'm not, I'm not really sure people see that uh, going into it to say the least, right? Cause it's their baby, you know, even just to take the step and, you know, put their heart, soul and, and sweat equity or what have you into something 
but it is a lot about the journey. It is a lot about what you're learning and achieving that you didn't know before you got into it. So let's say you're among the uh, unfortunate 50% five years later, uh, you know, you're, you're a lot better off in a lot more ways in terms of celebrating what, what you've been able to achieve, even though you have to move on. Yeah. I can't remember who said the quote originally, but they say you either win or you learn. And neither of those is a bad thing because even with every loss, every failure that you've experienced in your life, whether that was in your career or your relationships, I guarantee you learned something, didn't you? And you probably improved on that. And if you didn't, you're probably in the same situation you've been in forever. So maybe you're not capable of learning. I hate to, to say that, but some people just kind of keep falling into the same trap and keep kicking themselves in the same legs. So understand with your businesses, you're going to learn things. You're going to improve. You're going to revise. You're going to come out with better ideas and better products, better services, and then you're going to improve over time. And that's just what entrepreneurship is. They don't teach it in school. Don't think that you can go to college and take an entrepreneurship class and learn from professors who have never owned a business. And it just doesn't work that way. Go hire people that actually have built the companies, understand the entire dynamics and all of the bad things that can happen because most people hire coaches or join accountability groups to not learn new things all the time. It's really a mistake avoidance. You know, if you're going to go spend money and actually learn how to shortcut potential death traps for your business, that has a, a lot of value and it's a lot of time savings. And most people don't really think about it that way. Yeah, I'm really, I'm taking it in uh, as you describe it. That's great advice, Tony. Uh, and, and I wonder, also, I want to go back to the funding because I think that's so essential in and around, okay, I got to get a business off the ground. It's probably going to take some kind of funding. What is your recommendation or for people to, you know, put their own money on the line versus what it takes to get a business plan to the point where you can get it evaluated and investors? And are you recommending as much as possible that people find investors and not use their own money? Your thoughts there? I think a lot of times people dream really too big. And they think that since they can't afford their dream business today, they kind of give up hope. And entrepreneurs are not wired that way. Entrepreneurs solve the problem. So if the let's say, for example, if I want to own a Ferrari dealership in the middle of a racetrack, that would be pretty cool. I would, I would say that was a dream. You know, maybe even have like a boat that pulls up and you have a yacht right there at your track. Now, just looking at that, that's awesome. But I don't have hundreds of millions of dollars to go create that. So do I give up? Most people would just give up whatever their dream is. I think about, well, what do I need to go create now that I can create within my means that I could potentially earn some revenue, roll that into the next business, maybe sell that business and keep using them as like a staircase. So you may not be able to afford your dream business right now, but what can you afford? Because entrepreneurs, we solve that problem. We work our way up to our dream. We don't have to think, it's like, this, like I said, it's not that grand slam on your first step up to the plate. Sometimes you got to take the little steps and build the smaller companies or joint ventures before you can actually afford to do what you want to do. So I don't like the excuse of not having money. I think it's just you not figuring out how to make the money is the problem. When I started my company, it was $350. That was software licenses and a three-month server rental. $350 turned into millions of dollars. And when I started that company, I was working three jobs and I had a newborn son and a terrible relationship with his mother. You know, I was depressed, newborn kid, three jobs, two different apartments I was paying for, and I still started a company. So a lot of these things that we, we think that are common excuses, well, I got kids and my spouse doesn't do that. Like they're all excuses, guys, because when you start to realize that your purpose is stronger than your excuses, 
then you'll start to take action. But until then, you just got to call it out what it is. It's an excuse. Yeah, well said. And, and I, I wonder, it, because there is really no one answer to the funding equation. I mean, not everyone can, can, can take a few hundred dollars and start a business uh, out, of, out of nothing. Um, but it, it, because you're unique, Tony, in that way, to say, to say the least. That's why you're the author of the book and, and do what you do. But for the average person who is above average, trying to fulfill yeah. their purpose and leave their excuses behind... Do you seek money? Do you, you know, is there certain kind of certain kinds of industries and businesses like you have to go get funding in order to go into this? Um, I, I, I hear like whenever possible, if you don't have to use your own money, don't use your own money. So any I just want to see if there's any funding advice you might have in here. I'm not a big fan of borrowing money to, to do things, but there's been millions of successful businesses that have been started on a low limit credit card, you know, and, and if if you're credit score is not good as where it should be. That's probably your first thing you should go address is trying to get your credit score right. And then, then you have access to money because then you have lending opportunities. So, you know, there's a lot of steps you got to go take sometimes. And I've been in that situation when I graduated school and I got laid off after a year because of an industry downturn, I was $40,000 in credit card debt, had to consolidate my loans. that screwed up my credit for about four years, but then I had to do the right things to get it back to where it is. So, you got to understand that. Are you willing to do what it takes to achieve what you want? And most people will just not do that because like you said, it's, they always got some excuse like, Oh, I don't have money. Well, if you don't have money, do you have time? Because if you, if you have time, you can learn to do things yourself. You can go buy books to learn new skills, new knowledge, apply those things and maybe do things that people will pay you to do. Right. You know, for example, you know, my, I have a podcast editor. She's great. She's a single mom. She, 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 she has a, she works from home. She services a bunch of podcasts. She makes $500 a month from all the shows that she services. She gets to work from home and be with her kids. So understand that kind of stuff is what people need to understand is that you have a lot of options to do, but are you willing to do that? And frankly, if you're not willing to do it, then you're, you're not going to get the result. That's just a simple fact. And and I really think it is all about action. I think the, the fixing your credit, which a lot of people need to do, is uh, essential no matter what. But I think for entrepreneurship, whether you want to get money uh, elsewhere uh, or have your own self-funded business, that's that's definitely the right place to start uh, and great advice. Now, we are going to move on to Insights to Live By. But, Tony, before we do, you may know we have a segment on the show where we have – uh, insights that we like to gain about our guests. You see on my screen insights about Tony Watley. There are 12 questions here. We're going to give it a spin. Let's see where it lands. Let's find out a couple things about you and uh, go from there. All right, let's see. Oh, I like games. This is interesting. Tony, it landed on nickname. Have you had any particular nicknames in your life and what are their origins? I would say the only screen name nickname that I've had was nine ball, like the pocket billiards, because in school and college, I was a collegiate nine ball billiards champion. And when I joined the automotive forums, I just used the name nine ball because the first forum I joined was a, a billiards forum. So I said, I'm just going to use that name. And I was like, okay, if I'm going to join more forums, I just kept the same name. So a lot of people in the automotive space, especially the general motors performance, they, they know me as nine ball because of my screen name. So yeah, I guess I've had that for something 20 years. Now my friends and all that, they don't call that. That's a screen name, but it's, it's something that did stick with me. And it was kind of a branding thing for a long time. 
Well, it was more than a screen name. You were you were excellent at nine ball. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. Uh, you never know what you're going to learn uh, coming off the wheel. Let's go again. Let's see what happens here. This is more of a serious question uh, in terms of defining, and you're the right person to answer this, what you would describe as the difference between discipline and motivation. Uh, you need a minute on this one or? Uh, no, no, no. I already, I already knew this one as soon as I saw the as question. As soon as you saw the up. question, you are the right guy. Go ahead. What do you think? For context of my discipline, okay, I, I had very two very disciplinarian parents. My mom is a Japanese immigrant and she valued education. And I did not miss a single day of school from kindergarten through graduation. I had perfect attendance, 13 years. And my, my rear end was going to get on that bus whether I was, unless I was dead, basically. And me getting an A minus was considered a failure, right? So that kind of gives you an idea of the discipline I had on the learning side. Now, my dad, Vietnam vet, U.S. Marine, sergeant, I had all the other sides of disciplinarian from that side. So... I didn't like it as a kid. I get it. I actually enjoyed the school part because I was pretty good at it, but I didn't like all the other stuff of being bossed around and told what to do and that kind of stuff from my dad. But either way, it kind of formed me into someone who's very disciplined, right? I'm 48 now and people hire me and pay me a lot of money to keep them disciplined. And I don't think motivation is necessary. I think too many people waste a lot of time seeking motivation. Maybe they're scrolling Instagram, looking at motivational memes and trying to feel good. And, you know, I think that motivation is very temporary. It's fleeting and it doesn't get the job done because the way I think about motivation, for example, the gym, I go to the gym six days a week. I take Sundays off and I don't feel like going half the time. I really don't. Even though I enjoy working out, I don't feel like going to the gym. But always remember, I've never left the gym in my life having regret having been there that day. So if I can think about, man, when I leave that gym later on today, I'm not going to regret having gone. That's what I lean on. So that's kind of my indirect motivation. But it's not that I had to feel good and want to be all excited and energized to go do these things. And, right. you know, we, you and I love motivational speakers. We go do those things and we love those kind of shows. And it's a it's great feeling. But then everybody takes a, a bookload of notes and they go home and they don't even open that book and even look at their notes again. So right. I think motivation is optional. I think that you need to have the discipline to go do things, whether you want to or not. And that's what I've also determined from all of the highly successful people I've interviewed and people I know personally, we don't need motivation. We're, we're self-motivated to go do things, whether we like to feel like it or not. Well, Tony, I got to say, I, I'm not really sure it's possible for anyone to have given a better answer to that question than you just did. <laughs> and uh, 365 Driven had many uh, meanings to you throughout your life uh, from what it sounds. Perfect attendance. Oh. That's impressive. Um, kudos to your mom and dad to say the least, uh, even at, even in your late 40s. Now, that brings us to our insights to live by. So these are three life lessons that you like to share. If, if it's anything that maybe one of them rises above the others, feel free to save that for last. Um, really eager to hear. Tony, what is your first insight to live by? I actually give a speech on this, and it's funny because there's three of them right? It's really easy to remember because I want you to think about the success principles, the ABC of success. So the A is action, the B is belief, and the C is consistency. So I'll go into a little bit of detail on each of those. So action, 
to me, like we heard about earlier in the segment is that you got to take the action. You don't always have to have the answers, but you got to take the action. Most people think they need to be motivated to have all the information and handies and they, they, they prepare themselves for the battle, but then they don't ever push the button and actually do something with it. So always take action first, learn from that, evolve, improve, do things with that, but you got to take that a step. So even the smallest steps matters. I'm not talking about action where you got to go launch this giant company and do all these crazy things. Think about what are the things that you can do right now. So for your business, maybe it's, hey, I need to go create a separate checking account. That can be done on your computer from home, right? It's probably free at your at your current bank. Go create some DBA or an LLC. You can do that online for your, your business name. Go look for a logo designer on Fiverr. Pay them $35 to build you a logo for the thing. And so these are little bitty actions. But when you start to look back and you do enough of those over time, you're like, wow, I've achieved a lot of stuff in, in a month. Like I've got my business. Actually, I've got a PayPal account. I've got a Stripe account. All these things could be created within a week, to be honest, if you really just sat down and did them. And now you have a business. Now you just got to figure out how to build the product and the services and market that in order to get customers. So got to take the action. That's first and foremost. And belief, Okay. I think that too many people are always looking for external validation. They're always looking around for people to try to believe in them. They're walking around and they're asking people for advice. Or, and they always want people to pour into them, to have belief into them. And to, to me, like it doesn't matter how much external belief that's being poured into you until you can start to figure out for yourself, right? Because if you don't believe in yourself at the highest level, why do you think anyone else is going to believe in you? You know, they may see the potential people like me, People like Matt, we can see the potential in you. We can believe the potential in you, but we can't make you believe more than we believe in, right? So you have to think about that. You got to think of, okay, I need belief. Where does that come from? The confidence. Most people don't understand what that means. They think, okay, I'm confident. I've got swagger and all these things. Like, no, you, you become confident because you keep your promises. First of all, you become confident because you say you're going to do something and you follow through and you do it. You become confident because you keep promises to yourself. When you say, hey, I'm going to start this weight loss journey or this fitness journey, and I'm going to do this, this, and this, and you do it and you follow through and you actually start to get the results, you become a little bit more confident. So if you're lacking confidence in any regard, set goals for yourself, follow through on those, make sure that they occur the best of your ability, and then you're going to gain confidence just little over little over time. So you start to have that confidence. You start to have the belief back in yourself. You don't need external validation anymore. You're like, I got this. I've demonstrated that I can say that I'm going to do something. And I can follow through and I can get the result. I don't care what other people are going to say, because most people are so worried about critics and naysayers and haters and things like that, that they just put their dreams on the shelf and don't even try because they don't believe in themselves. So you got to have that belief, right? But remember, action came first. You got to take that action before you to believe in yourself, because that's part of the courage and the building and the results process. And finally, consistency. That just means showing up every day. 365 Driven is my brand. It's also a mantra. It's like, how do I improve every single day? Japanese would call that Kaizen, right? It's gradual improvement over time on an every single day basis. And to me, a lot of people will start really strong with something. Maybe it's that fitness journey we talked about. Maybe it's that business. Maybe it's that writing the book or launching the podcast. They, they start really strong. Most people will go about two to three months all in. And then they feel like they're not getting the results that they feel that they're entitled to, or they're not getting the results that they expected by that point, And they quit and they quit. So you start thinking about, wow, if I know that the vast majority of people quit, and we all know those people. We see people with a different business card every six months. They're trying to do something else. And hey, come on over and learn about this. And 
they always don't stick through it. They never follow through and finish what they started. So to me, consistency is a minimum of 12 months. If you're not willing to do something consistently on a daily or a weekly basis for 12 months, don't even start. Don't even start because why go half-ass after two months? Because you're not doing the things that you said you were going to do. You didn't commit to that. So I think about it as that is that you have to show up every little day. And I'm not talking about working the 24-7 hustling, grind, and killing yourself like that. I've done that. It's terrible. Don't do that. It's bad for your mental health, your physical health, your relationships. But do something every day to move it a little bit closer to your goal. You know, before the kids or the wife wake up, maybe get up a little early and read a, a chapter of a book that's going to teach you something or give you a better insight or perspective on what you're building. You know, listen to those podcasts, go to the gym, eat a little bit healthier. These are things that you do to improve yourself over time. And they're not giant asks. They're just, they're just turn the TV off, turn the Facebook off, turn the Instagram off, go do things that are going to move you forward, right? Just do a little bit of those every day. And that's the thing is that you have to show that and, and you have to be willing to do that, whether people are, are cheering you on or not, because that's the big thing about consistency is most people quit because they don't think that people are watching them anymore or it's not working or I'm not cut out for this. They've got the self-limiting beliefs that come into your mind. So the thing about this is that like your Facebook post or your Instagram post or clubhouse or things like that, you keep showing up and you're not getting a lot of followers. People aren't watching you. People aren't liking your stuff, but they initially did when you started. You're like, oh, this is going to be easy. I got all the support network. People really love me. And then a week later, they're kind of just tapering off. And you start to think it's you and that there's something wrong with your content and I'm just not cut out for this, or maybe I don't look good enough or whatever that's in your mind. But the thing is, is most people will watch you in silence. They're observing. They're seeing how serious you are about what you're creating. And the thing is that they're not going to come back around until you've demonstrated that you're consistent over time and you're actually legit, legitimately interested in what you're doing, right? And that usually happens around six to seven months in, even if they haven't been liking your post or responding anymore, they're going to, Hey, you know what? Matthew's showing up every single day and putting in value. I think he's serious about this. He's outlasted all the two, three month people that quit by now you go 12 months in, they're starting to respond again. They're wow. This person's really committed. Their consistency, they're, they're, they're impacting my lives. They're sharing perspectives with the service of the product. That's really changing people. And it's helping so many people. And now they're starting to tag their friends into your stuff. Hey, come check out Matthew's stuff. Like, it's amazing. You got to come check out. Like, I love this show. I love this book. I love this product. It's amazing. And if you could do that 18, 24 months consistently on a daily basis, now it's the entire world is starting to tag you. You're getting tagged all over the internet by people you don't, never heard of, never met before. And you wake up and your, your Instagram is filled with the comments and it's just, but you don't get that from, you got to get that from consistency. You can't shortcut that with money. You may be sitting on a pile of cash and think, well, I'll just run ads and do that. Like, no, you're not going to build that. It's not going to happen. You can't shortcut the consistency of the work part. It's so well described. And, you know, it, it, it reminds me when we, we going back over that, you know, action, belief, consistency. Uh, I think your, your, your comments in and around discipline were a great foundation for everything that you just described. Uh, the action part reminds me a lot about the slight edge, right? Those incremental steps that you take continue to add up in that positive direction. They may seem small, uh, but they're, they're bite-sized and, and manageable is the point. And a month goes by and suddenly you look back and be like, wow, I have a logo. I have all these different things. Um, so true. And the, the belief part um, does come back to that 
that discipline, that self-integrity, keeping your promises to yourself and knowing that you're going to keep your promises to yourself, uh, you automatically believe because you keep your promises. And I, I think that's really at the foundation of, of that point. And the same thing with consistency, again, keeping your promises. I love the idea, Tony, of just showing up and that it is easy for someone, you keep showing up and you get discouraged and you're not really feeling that momentum, that critical mass. And there's that tipping point that you can't quite see. But if, if you just just keep it going, just just be true to yourself and in service to others. And that critical mass is inevitable through self-belief. I believe. I believe it. Everybody out there has an audience waiting for them. But you got to be vocal and you got to show up every day for them to discover you. It's going to take time. You know, your initial friends and your family will give you the golf clap and kind of support what you're doing because it's something outside of your wheelhouse and it's something unusual for you. But that kind of that kind of support wears off usually a couple of weeks into it. And that's when people get disheartened. They're like, man, my, even my mom's not liking my post anymore. I must be awful at this. Right. So it's all in our heads. That's rough when your mom. Yeah, hopefully not. <laughs> it's like, oh, wow, I really need more grit. Um, so now with action, belief, and consistency, are those what you're encompassing as one insight to live by, or are those your three? I just That's wanted- the three. Okay. That's the three. I thought so. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't leaving yeah. anything out. Good. Um, well, we certainly covered a lot of ground with those. Um, and before we wrap up here, Tony, and find out where people can find you, what's next for you, uh, give you some space to share, what... Would it be okay to go back to the wheel one more time? And, yeah, sure. Uh, that, that was fun. I'd love to see what comes about. Yeah, this is a staple of the show. And, and I always love it when the guests don't know that it's coming. Huh. Best career advice. You also are the right person to be asking. Now, let's. Just, I suppose this is someone maybe who's going into a career. Yeah. Um, Maybe this is less about an entrepreneur. I don't know. You could, you're the guest. Yeah. You can answer this any way you want. You know, with careers, my very first job was McDonald's. Age 15, I worked there through high school. And sometimes you had to do the jobs that you didn't want to do, like mopping the floors or cleaning the restrooms or things like that. But you know what? I always wanted to do it the best I could. So I was always the one that would sweep the floors the best or mop the floors the best. And the thing is, that in any career or as an entrepreneur, if you try to be the best at whatever you're doing, soon enough, you're not going to be doing that job anymore. Because if you start doing more than you're paid to do, you're not going to be paid to that level anymore. You're going to, you're going to climb pretty fast. And that also worked in corporate. I made multiple six figures in corporate. I was right there at the executive level for major multi-billion dollar companies. I always just looked at who my competitors were, which were your colleagues, and what were they doing? What were they not doing? And how could I do that better at every single level? So with career or entrepreneurship, just do your best. Your best may not as be as good as somebody else's, but it's your best, you know? And if you go into things for half-assing, you're going to get half-ass results and you should expect that kind of a result. And you're going to know if, if you left anything on the table also. Absolutely. Back to that whole, Absolutely. that whole regret, you know, set your sights on something and then ask yourself, well, why didn't I achieve that? And, you know, if you gave it your best, uh, you know, any number of factors are outside of yourself. But in the absence of doing your best, there's only one place to point. Yeah, you sleep a lot better at night knowing you gave it your best. And you know what? In watching people get promoted, 
going through that and helping other people grow their careers. Most people that get promoted are not surprised that they were recognized because they're always putting in their work. Now, the people that had the most emotional reactions to not getting promoted, they knew that they were slacking. Just like when people get fired, most people fire themselves and they're not really shocked. I would say that out of all the people I've had to fire, and I worked in restaurants as a manager, there's a lot of people back then. I would say maybe 5% of the people were actually genuinely shocked that they were being fired. Yeah. I mean, especially even a restaurant business, I mean, there's a lot of churn there, but you're right. People mm-hmm. fire themselves. I never really quite thought about it that way. You got to mm-hmm. kind of try in a way <laughs> to yep. get yourself fired. Uh, well, that said, Tony, I know people can find you at 365driven.com. We'll put that in the show notes. Anything else that you'd like to share? What's coming up next for you? Other sources? I just want to give you some space here. Yeah, I would say that the big thing for me now is we do live events. We do two to three events a year. They're more like vacation destinations for entrepreneurs. We bring in some incredible speakers and we also do things that push you out of your comfort zone, like whitewater rafting or hiking mountains. And this particular event that's coming up in November, is going to be in Tucson, Arizona. That's going to be November 17 through 19 this year. We're going to do some road course driving. We're actually rented out a high performance driving school to get on the road course with instructors and actually push you out of your comfort zone. These are 700 horsepower Dodge Hellcat cars that you're going to learn how to do autocross, road course, skid pad. You're going to leave this with a lot more confidence because it's something outside of your norm and you're going to be a better driver as a result, even in your daily driving. So that's the kind of things we do is we, we pick out destination locations. It's going to be hosted at a dude ranch with house, you know, horses and all kinds of cool stuff going on with the family activities and we'll have a day of speakers, and then we do the racing day, and then we do a relaxation day on the resort. So if you're interested in that, go check out the website, 365driven.com. All the stuff I do, my book, my podcast is all on that one website. I will do that. That sounds, uh, it sounds like that's a long waiver that someone's going to be signing before they ride around that track. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, Tony, just amazing uh, things that you're doing and continue to do. And uh, thank you very much for for being Uh, our guest here and sharing your insights to live by. Hope you enjoyed this episode of insights to live by. Be sure to connect with me at mattzinman.com in our happierness community and get our free video series, three Zisms for a better life. Wishing you and yours an enriching day and we'll see you next time.